Welcome to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hemmerker. In each episode, she'll talk with your favorite romantic suspense authors. They will take you behind the scenes of the writing process, giving excerpts from their writing, and share stories about their writing life. Driving Force by Kate Angelo He's the last client she wants to protect. Elite Guardian's bodyguard, former sniper Christina Sherman, has protected uncooperative clients before, but this time, well, her client is bossy, headstrong, and occasionally eats off the floor. Yes, he's a highly trained military working dog, but certainly her skills could be put to better use, right? Not according to former Special Forces Air Commando Gray Parker, he needs her help to protect his dog while he undergoes an experimental surgery that could restore his ability to walk. He just needs someone to keep his canine partner safe. Most of all, Gray wants back on his feet so he can track down a deranged scientist known as the Scavenger, who unleashed a nerve agent that left Gray sidelined in a wheelchair. When an attempt is made on Gray's life and dead bodies begin piling up, with evidence the same toxin is responsible, suddenly Christina is tasked with keeping both dog and soldier alive, and with them, the secrets that could stop a terrorist attack. But this time, even Christina might be in over her head. Hi, and welcome to this episode of The Romantic Side of Suspense. I'm your host, Sarah Hammerker, and I'm so glad you joined me. Today, my guest is Kate Angelo. She's an author, minister, and public speaker from Southwest Missouri who works alongside her husband, strengthening and encouraging marriages and families. I love that, Kate. So welcome to my program. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Yeah. Before we talk about uh, writing, so do you want to talk a little bit about your ministry? Because that seems like a really nice thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I'm I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, so my husband and I are um, are both ministers with the uh, General Council of Assembly of God, and um, we have just found that marriage is the foundation of our communities, and um, it's one of the first institutions that God created in the Bible, and it's the last thing that's talked about in um, the Bible and Revelation. So we feel like this is really, really important. And in this day and age, um, we just don't have as many people who are educated in how to have healthy relationships mm. um, on a peer-to-peer -peer level, much less in a marital relationship. And so we just really focus our energy on education, uh, skills-based training, uh, crisis counseling, and then um and then what something else that's near and dear to our heart is uh, praying together in our marriages and just really teaching people that intimacy. So, um, so we were, we, we are all over the place all the time. Um, when, uh, on my personal Facebook page, you see me, you know, over here in Oklahoma and then up there in St. Louis and all over, you know, different places doing different things for our ministry. And people are like, how are you also writing a book? <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> doing it on the run. So how are you writing the book? Do you find that you just have to take your, no, we can say that was a great segue right into writing. So way to go, Kate. Yeah. Um, so, well, what's, what's awesome is uh, my husband bought me an iPad pro. I'm not really an Apple person, but um, to have one that it's like always connected in 5g, it mm. has Scrivener on it, which is the application I use for writing. And, um, and then I can just open it up 
and write, not worry about backing it up because it's it's constantly um, backing up into the cloud. And I can get that writing done in the car, on an airplane, or you know any number of places, even if it's just a few sentences here and there, or even if I'm just jotting down an idea or working out a plot problem. So I do that a lot. And then um, and I uh, get up really early in the morning. This is a, there's an ongoing thing with other people who know that they say, I don't sleep because I am up at, late at night and I get up around uh, five every morning to try to get my day started before everybody else. So, ah. um, so I do a lot of writing in, in, in between other things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes that's, if we want to get it done, that's what we have to do. Yeah. 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 So, um, what, so speak just along that writing line, besides finding time to write, what do you find most frustrating about writing romantic suspense? Well, um, I think one of the things that's most frustrating about writing romantic suspense, in my opinion, is you're not allowed to kill people all the time in all the ways that you want to. Um, you know, there's some people who don't like a lot of dead bodies on the page. There's some people who love a lot of dead bodies on the page. Um, and then, I mean, that, and that's kind of the funny thing. Um, I work with Lynette Easton a lot. So she's my mentor with my Sunrise um, and, and this book that, that we're talking about, Driving Force. Um, she mentored me through the process to write in her story world. And sometimes she's like, okay, Kate, this isn't a Tom Cruise movie. Like we can't have them, Spider-Man jumping off the walls and things like that. You know, let's let's bring it down to reality. So that can that's not frustrating, but it's just, you know, like, okay, yeah, I need to I make it believable. And, um, but really, I think it's complicated to write a romantic suspense, especially in the inspirational, because you're trying to weave in um, a character story arc, a romantic relationship, a um, nice suspense thread that's complicated and has enough plot twists to keep the reader interested. Mm -hmm. um, plus, you need to know maybe law enforcement, or in my case, I love to bring science into it. And so you're trying to weave in all of these things, you know, and include a spiritual thread. And um, sometimes it can feel overwhelming to try to weave everything in, in a nice, easy, um, interesting way for the reader to enjoy a nice um, character arc and spiritual arc and a um, suspense arc. Yeah, it can be, um, you know, is that, it is that that balancing act? Um, so do you, do you, I mean, when you do your first draft, do you focus on one of those threads more than the other, or are you trying to put all of them on? I know for me, I, I usually focus on the suspense part because I'm, that's, that's where my brain needs to figure all that out. And then I'll go back and layer in more the romance and the, in the faith. It's kind of there in the back. It's in my brain. It just doesn't always make it the first draft onto the page. So how do, how do you work all those in? Yeah, I think for me, um, I am what I'm, I'm a younger writer, not in age, but in my, the number of books that I have, have written and um, Driving Force is my debut novel. And uh, because of that, I'm still really trying to find what works for me. And I have found that I kind of need to do it all at one time. I okay. need to know my story from the beginning to the end. I need to research as I go. I need to, um, I'm just right now trying to take notes ahead of time so that I know what I'm going to write in a scene before I write it. 
um, at least emotionally. Um, but I find that layering in for me more of like the scene anchoring, that's the stuff that I have to work harder at. So, you know, um, helping you feel, helping the reader feel like they're in the right time, place, space, um, and they can be there. You know, I think uh, some readers might not know, but authors call it white room syndrome, where everybody's just standing in this white space talking and uh, you forget to anchor them. And so that's the part that I generally go back and have to weave more of that into it. I think a lot of young writers, just thinking of some of the ones that I've mentored or I've read their work and I'm like, where are they? Because they're just like talking heads and I, you know, and I get it, you know, I mean, I've written, I don't know how many books I've written, um, not all of them published, but when you write, you know, get them done and you're just like, yeah, I mean, that can be a thing. We're not like Edith Wharton who has like pages and pages of description. You know, I think she, yeah. I remember in the age of innocence, one of my favorite books, but she had like, you know, five pages of a meal or something. <laughs> yeah. We should totally turn this into an Edith Wharton um, conversation because I feel like she writes books just so she can have like a quip at the end because I love the way she ends her books. I don't know if yes. it's ever just like hit you. She just like yeah. the whole thing is wrapped yep. up in like this one sentence at the end. And mm -hmm. you're just like, wow you know and, yeah. and I've read several of her books that way and and you're just like you said you're taken along on this stroll through a flowery garden and everything and then you end up um going I just read like eight pages about you know what it feels like to be outside you know yeah yeah, yeah. and then they then she like goes boom and you're like oh my goodness yeah, yeah she was amazing well we won't go too down that yeah far down that rabbit trail but if you haven't read Edith Wharton you need to revisit mm -hmm. her very good American writer in the Gilded Age, yep. I think you call it. So, um, yes. yeah, yeah, her books are, are wonderful, but you need to have a little patience because she writes very long sentences sometimes. And like, I'm not kidding. There's like pages of descriptions of places and gardens and meals. So you're warned. Yeah. But it's great for writers to, um, to read other work like that, uh, so that they can see how they could shorten it. And how you could pull yeah. pieces of it uh, or maybe divide it into um, like just bringing it into the scene. I was talking to another author and she said, it's great if you can um, describe certain things in the room with you, because then you might be able to use those items later, uh, whether it's later in that scene or later in that story. Um, because if you're trying to show maybe nervousness, mm -hmm. um, it might be the, the throw blanket that you mentioned was on their couch that she picks up and plays with the fringe of it or something you know that you're that you're able to bring that back in and and uh give a visual to your reader and also I think um it's good to know because a lot of those authors of yesteryear had a really good sense of the five senses mm -hmm. and the taste and the smell and the sight you know we we just do like sight and hear you know <laughs> yeah forget. right about the other one, you know, and so it, we do need to bring in those, those things. So it can be very helpful to be reminded, you know, I'm not going to go three pages with, you know, the meal. Nobody eats, nobody wants to read in a romantic suspense, at least maybe in a romance, if you're having a really fancy dinner, maybe I would have to throw in some, you know, the waiter tries to kill people. And that's why. I <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You got to add yeah. that in there too. Yeah. So, um, so one of the other 
things that um, I think we wanted to talk about when we talked about it before we started recording this podcast was researching ways to kill people. And I just, I laugh about this because it's one of those things where, you know, Google is our friend and also our enemy. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So one of the things that I, I learned pretty quickly was um, that, so I'm, I'm a visual person. So I like to pull up a picture of something and look at it as I'm writing. Um, so whether it's a house or something like that, well, you know, if I get up at 5am and I'm drinking coffee and I'm starting a scene, pulling up ballistic pictures, probably not the best thing, you know, because you end up looking at some pretty gory, uh, gunshot wounds or, uh, stabbings and things like that. So I've kind of learned not to do that so much, but, um, you know, some of my author friends have, have given me like just the best, if you just take it out of context, it's just the best quotes ever. So, um, you know, one of them was like, I was talking to Jessica Patch and I was, and someone said, I needed help plotting this. And she's like, oh, I man, I love to kill people. And yeah. if you just take it out of context, you're like, right. Oh, that's so funny. You know, so I know that um, Google must have a good sense of humor about that um what you're researching yeah. and um I was talking also about the um recently the man who was charged with the murder of and disappearance of his wife right. and um they saw that he actually googled how to dispose of a 115 pound body yeah. and that's one of the key pieces of evidence against him and I was like man all of us suspense authors our husbands are in big trouble if any of us go dis- I know, you know? I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I think about that. And um, although I am kind of grateful I don't see ads for like, you know, sharp knives or, you know, guns. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little relieved, relieved about that or poison, yeah. you know, whatever I'm researching right now. So like this extra large want. tarp, this yeah. big tarp over here that you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes oh. it can be can be super funny. So, um, well, we are actually out of time, Kate. I wish I could ask you more questions. You'll have to come back on my show again sometime. But thank you for oh, thank you for being to. here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Sarah. You have been listening to the Romantic Side of Suspense. I've been talking with Kate Angelo. She's a author, minister, public speaker, and you can hear read more about her in the notes to this podcast. And also stay tuned for an excerpt from her debut novel, Driving Force. Now an excerpt from Driving Force by Kate Angelo. Thursday, 3.54 p.m. A familiar thrill coursed through Christina's veins and her pulse thrummed in her ears. It heightened her senses and propelled her toward her target with a determination she hadn't experienced since her army days. The threat was genuine. She could sense it. But a niggling doubt still hung in the back of her mind. To abandon her post meant breaking operational security protocols and leaving the rest of the team vulnerable. But this wasn't the battlefield and she wasn't in the army any longer. She needed to rely on her instincts and trust herself. One last ladder and she'd be on ground level, but not out of the woods. This was the worst part, the part where she'd be running blind, unable to see Bulldog or what he was doing. She reached the second ladder, gripped it, and placed her feet on the outside rails. 
The black combat boots squealed on the way down, the sound echoing into the service room below. She hit the ground with a satisfying thunk and spun on her heel. A red exit sign glowed over the doorway, and in three strides she shouldered through the door. The harsh fluorescent lights forced her eyes to adjust a moment. The arena map she'd memorized appeared in her mind, and she was in the service tunnel. She knew where to go. Arms pumping, she raced to the end of the corridor and rounded the corner. As she burst through the exit into the public area, the muffled noise of the spectators came to life in a cacophony of voices and overheard announcements. Clusters of people moved through the lobby or stood in lines at the concession stands. Christina bolted through the crowds, weaving her way around them. A semicircle of teenagers posed for a photo in the center of the hall, blocking the entire corridor. Move! Get out of the way! She hated to yell at innocent civilians, but it was the best way to get their attention. The group looked up with wide eyes and scattered. She darted straight through, checking the overhead signs for her next turn. A shoulder collided with hers, knocking her off balance. She stumbled, regained her footing, and picked up the pace. Sorry! Her yell drifted behind her. Another left and she would be at the ramp leading to the spectator seating area. Should she make a beeline for her suspect or hop the rail and throw herself in front of Governor Winston? She didn't want to make a scene if her instincts were wrong about the threat. But what if she was right? Disastrous thoughts ran through her head. Everything from a bomb to a mass shooting with thousands of targets sitting like helpless ducks in stadium seating. She used the images to drive her on even harder. A woman stepped into Christina's path as she rounded the corner, and they slammed into each other. Christina grabbed the woman's shoulders and felt strong hands slip around her waist. Each steadied the other until they regained their footing. I'm so sorry. Christina did a double take and stared at Katie Matthews. Her sleek black hair was pulled into a tight ponytail that accentuated her high cheekbones and olive complexion. Christina? Katie's dark eyes went wide with recognition. What are you doing here? No time to explain. There's a suspicious male, section 105, second row from the top. Possible concealed weapon. My comms are out. Katie nodded. Mine too. Grab an agent and go after him. I'm going for the governor. I'm on it. Katie turned and raced off. Christina dashed up the aisle toward the basketball court. She'd never been so relieved to work for a team that had her back and trusted her judgment. She crested the top of the ramp and scanned the faces of the players for any signs of awareness. The way the players waited on the court looked like a firing line to Christina and Winston was front and center. Wait, something was different. The player next to Winston had moved from the end of the line. It was the basketball player with the dog who had made eye contact with her when she was on the catwalk. Winston was still speaking, and he held a wooden plaque between himself and the man. The gold plate in the shape of South Carolina, mounted in the center of the award, glinted in the light. How should she get their attention? She glanced at Bulldog. 
saw him looking down and screwing something together. The choice was made. Christina ran as fast as she could toward the black handrail at the top of the ramp. She grabbed the rail with both hands, planted a boot, and vaulted over. Landing with a roll, she then sprang to her feet and came up running. A twinge of pain shot through her ankle, but she ignored it and focused on her objective. She locked eyes with the governor of South Carolina and charged at him full speed. All around her, bursts of camera flashes illuminated the ruddy face of Governor Winston. His mouth fell open and Christina launched herself at him, arms extended to tackle. Her hands connected with his bony shoulders as she crashed into him. They went down hard. Winston wheezed and coughed a minty breath in Christina's ear. She'd knocked the wind out of him. He writhed and tried to push her off. Stay down! She brought her elbows up and pinned his head in place. I think someone's trying to... The sharp pop of a single gunshot severed the roar of confusion in the audience. Thanks for listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hammerker. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can sign up to receive notifications of upcoming podcasts and listen to previous editions at sarahhammakerfiction.com.